1-888-978-7654321. Perfect. Hey everyone, it's Darian Simone Harvin here with the Am I Allowed to Like Anything podcast. And for this episode, I took the train to Brownsville, Brooklyn and interviewed Nadia Lopez, who is the principal and founder of Mott Hall Bridges Academy. I became familiar with Nadia about a year ago. Uh, I was working on the Passion Atlas section of Harvard Cover Magazine, and I was looking for amazing educators to feature. Very shortly after I had reached out to Nadia, one of her students, Vidal, was interviewed by Brandon of Humans of New York, and it really expose the world to the work that she's been doing to educate kids and save lives so enjoy remember that you can rate and subscribe to am i allowed to like anything on itunes and always join the conversation on twitter using the hashtag a-i-a-t-l-a so i'm actually really glad that i got a chance to sit in your office for a while and take a look around because one of the things that stuck out to me was like all of the different places that you've worked (laughs) even before you had this office so like the gap verizon i knew that you had worked for like nyc health and then the department of education yes um but kind of like getting into that point you know like you've done interviews and you you know you guys have gotten a lot of recognition rightfully so just through humans of new york and really how that expanded but i kind of want to fill in some gaps of your story because i think that there are a lot of just like really valuable tools and just like life lessons you know like people switch jobs they switch what they're interested in and I know that you like originally went to school for nursing yes and this was this was my question did you actually go in and kind of like start somewhat of a career in nursing or did you go to school and then you were like never mind I want to get into education so neither of the two okay (laughs) um I went to Wagner College um and I majored in nursing I loved the idea of Um, holistically helping others Uh Um, science has always been my number one love but once I was graduating I realized that I didn't have the passion or the interest Mm -hmm. in being a nurse Um, you know my hat goes off to nurses my mother was a nurse's assistant and so she really wanted me to live out and be at a higher level than she was. She didn't want me to have to take orders. She wanted me to be a person who gave orders. And so um, I kind of followed the line of being a nurse because it was what I was used to. Um, I was very much health interested in health. Um, I was a geek when I was a kid. So I did a lot of um, early courses in science from the time I was in middle school. Um, but you have to have a love and passion to deal with um, the healthcare industry and you know wanting to write nursing notes every day and um, be on a nursing floor like there was just too much right mm-hmm. and um, so I went to work for Verizon a phone company and my mother was livid because I told her during my pen and ceremony I was like yeah I know you paid for college and stuff like that um, but I'm honestly not gonna do nursing I'm gonna work for the phone company I'm gonna be a, an account collections representative and she was just like I paid all this money for private college and now you're gonna do phone services and I said I mean you get to keep your degree 
and you should be happy. <laughs> um, but you li- listen, I can keep this degree. Right. Okay? You know what I mean? Like, put it on the wall, but um, I want to do something that I'm happy with. And at the time, Verizon offered just so many great benefits in terms of going back to college and pursuing other degrees, and they would be willing pay- to pay for it at 100%. Wow. Um, and then I would still be able to get paid every week. And so right. it just seemed like... It was a win-win situation. Yeah. So so you didn't really do it as a means to, like, figure it out. Like, you didn't go into Verizon like, oh, I'm just going to do this until I figure it out. You went in like, this could be a really good place for me to work and to just... Yeah, I thought, like, um, you know, it would be a stepping stone for me to get into the phone company, but I also wanted to see the opportunities of moving up the corporate ladder. I yeah. thought maybe business would be more of... What I wanted to do, I had worked for The Gap while I was um, in school. I was a RA. So I felt like I was a people's person and I would be doing well with transactions. And because I did four years of nursing, I could go back to school, get my MBA, which I actually started while I was at Verizon. Um, but then I quickly realized I wasn't passionate about that either. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did learn was how to deal with irate people. Um, People constantly call the phone company, especially when you're the person cutting off their phone services yeah. and wanting, you know, to take your head off for it. And I was just, I, I couldn't understand it. Like, you know, you right. owe money. Why are we having, a, why right. are we having this um, back and forth situation? And then um, through <laughs> the years of being there, I realized, you know, some people just are going through a lot. And so some things are controllable and some things aren't. And sometimes people just want to be heard. So yeah. um, I learned how to deal with irate people, and which is what I actually end up doing now as a principal, having to deal with um, folks who come in and they're upset with other things. They're upset with the, their circumstances, whether it's poverty, abuse, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just looking at my space here, you can see how I set it up. It's not your typical principal's office. Um, where it's stale and there's always something for you to look at that takes your focus away and makes you start to think as opposed to be reactive to a situation. I know I felt like every time I turned around your office like my eye got caught to like something new Mm -hmm. or I learned something about you or your students or Mm -hmm. just like the philosophy of the school and some cool like slogans that you guys have so in what point in time did you decide that okay maybe I want to go to school to be to um, I don't know if it was particularly to be a teacher or to be a principal but to at least at the very least you knew that you were gonna be working with kids quite honestly it wasn't until I gave birth to my daughter wow that I realized that at some point in time she is going to she's gonna have a choice of whether or not she should go to college right and she is going to want to make a final decision and if I'm in a situation where I'm working um, as an accounts collection representative and not to knock anybody but I just knew that if my daughter says to me I don't want to go to college this is what I want to do because you you know because of you I don't want to do this I just felt like how can I be the person in this space um, that offers opportunities um, not only for her but for other people's children, for them to understand that just because things don't work out, um, pursuing one particular um, tract of education, and for me it was nursing, that you can't make it in something else. Mm-hmm. You should just know your options. And um, 
I, and I said, where did I get that from? Where did I get that spirit of having choices and knowing that education gave you that platform? And it went back to great teachers. And so I realized, like, I think that's what I want to do. I really want to become a teacher. And I remember my mother saying to me, you have to be kidding me. Like, <laughs> why didn't you figure this out when you were in school? And her biggest concern was, like, most parents, like, why can't you just stay in one job get all the benefits, stay there for 30 years, leave out with your retirement fund. And I was just like, I can't do anything that I'm not passionate about. Right. Um, so you either have to support me through this or I'm just going to be miserable and I'm not willing to be miserable at all. Um, and um, I was going to do it through Verizon because once again, they would be willing to pay for it. But um, there was an opportunity for me to re um, apply to the New York City Teaching Fellows. And that's what I did. And I kind of put it on god to say like if this is what you want me to do i'll get in mm -hmm. um and i applied and i did not get in and i was just like oh this is a joke and in your head it feels like you've almost convinced yourself like yeah this is what i'm supposed to be doing yeah and then it's like skirt no. right <laughs> and you know what it's funny because i think it's also divine intervention um i think it's not i think i know that god once he made me realize what I was supposed to do it was a question of are you really serious about doing this um because with all intent purposes I, I you can't get into this job and not give 110 percent yeah and so um when I didn't get it I remember I received a phone call from the human resources director who worked for the deputy superintendent who used to be my assistant principal when I was in middle school and I told her how excited I was about applying to this um, program and getting in and when they called to find out when I would start I said I didn't get in and they were like why and I didn't have an answer I said you know the letter I received said I can't handle the rigor which was complete lie I couldn't get through nursing at Wagner College and not handle rigor yeah um and lo and behold, you know, I, I prayed on it. One of my friends told me to write it down and make it plain. Habakkuk 2-2. I did that. Um, and I would always just, for three days straight, I remember writing down, saying to God, like, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll wholeheartedly do it. But I know you want me to work with children. So if I have to go through Verizon to get my degree, I will do that. Mm -hmm. But I am strong-minded on I'm going to pursue education. And three days later, I got a phone call from the director of the teaching fellows that said they made a mistake in sending me the wrong letter <gasps> and I would be getting um, placed in the program. Oh my gosh. And then I had the audacity to be like, well God, I don't know if you really wanted me <laughs> to do it, right? Because um, if you did, I'll get a buyout package from Verizon so I could have money to hold me over for the two oh months. Oh my gosh, no you didn't. And two days later I got a buyout package <gasps> in the mail. And so I was just like, okay, I think I'm gonna be doing this education thing. It was, it's always, it, yeah, it seems surreal, but that's how it went down. Wow. In, in like, I guess like when you got that call, mm -hmm. how did you feel? Like, did you feel re like redemption? Or? I did. I felt like exonerated. Like, yes, because you question yourself. Like, was I not good enough? Um, I know I did a phenomenal job. I wrote out a lesson plan. I came with activities. I, I was like focused and it was science related and it was hands on. And I was just like, well, what did I, what did I do wrong? Um, and all I want to do is help kids. And so 
to have somebody apologize and say we made a mistake because then they tried to say I couldn't handle rigor and I was just like now now pause yeah like that's not even how I'm made up um so it felt really great um and I I really used that as a a stepping stone which is kind of like the running thread of my life in education where I've always had to prove myself even becoming a principal of showing my worth and always having to work harder to get in the spaces that I'm in. Yeah. And at what point did you decide while you were teaching, I I assume, is like, okay, I think I want to, like, serve in another capacity. I want to be a principal. Because this isn't, like, your first time being, being a principal of a school. This is my first school that I opened. That you've opened. Right. Um, as a principal. As a principal. I, I opened... Uh, all girls school I was a founding um, teacher okay for the urban assembly institute of um, for young women in math and science which Mm -hmm. is downtown Brooklyn Um, I had no intentions of being a principal I was really good at just being in the classroom and um, helping kids be great just by loving the content that I was teaching and figuring out ways to get them excited about it But, um, you know, I was in a couple of, I was in a space, my first teaching experience, which was really, really challenging. And there was such low morale amongst staff members because oftentimes um, administration would talk to staff members as if they weren't valuable in the very settings where children were and they were often demeaned in front of children so how do you get children to respect you when administrators are it's like impossible telling you off right mm-hmm. that was one and then the second thing was more about um there was just children who just didn't believe in themselves and i could not understand that like how do they get into seventh grade and already feel like failures and so i had a really amazing um collaborative teacher who actually works for me now um who taught me that you have to instill greatness in the kids i already knew that growing up but i saw her from the perspective of a teacher how you get that done um and she was relentless in terms of reminding children that they are children um from africa and they are kings and queens and um always having them be reaffirmed in their place in life you know, one of my questions I actually have here is how do you get kids, particularly black kids, to realize that they matter? Like, mm-hmm. how do you do that? It's hard work. You have so many social factors that impact how children value themselves. The first place is always it starts at home. Um, Children know their self-worth based off of what they receive at home. So if that's praise, if that's acknowledgement, um, those lessons you learn from your parents, your grandparents, and your immediate village, which starts in your community. Here in um, Brownsville, and as well as when I worked in Fort Greene before it became this special place to live, Live. Mm -hmm. um, they're not reminded of that. You know, it's generational um genocide that I call it where even the children's parents went were in front of educators who didn't believe in them not all educators were like that but 
we there's not enough resources so if you had great teachers they did whatever they could with the amount of resources which was really nothing to make things happen and if you don't see beyond like you see even from my office you can literally see the gates and then you see the projects yeah there is nothing that tells you and you're, you're worth anything beyond this, right? Mm-hmm. So the only way you can see that is that we have to literally take them into those spaces for them to see, like, every space doesn't have gates. Every space doesn't have projects. Every space um, is not a negative um, reminder that you can't make it. Yeah. And the reason why we like to take them to other communities or have them watch videos on historical content that embodies black folks, Spanish people that are doing exceptional things is because they don't get to see those images. Right. Um, and then when they come home, then they become the teachers in their household and share the knowledge with their families. Um, because, you know, when my parents aren't from this country, my mom is from Guatemala, my dad is from Honduras, my mom's family came from Jamaica, like, mm-hmm. The only thing my parents really gave me was eyes on the prize. My dad had me watching PBS and was like, this is black history. Yeah. And had me do a lot of reading. Yeah. You know, and then placed me in schools where that could be reinforced. Wow. So in order to tell kids that they matter, you have to tell them every single day. Um, And then they leave you and then they go into spaces that don't tell them that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it for me is faith and prayer that they'll get it. Um, because I'm blessed to have had three graduating classes from this school alone and um, scholars who have graduated from various schools that I have taught at, um, they get it. I see the fruits of my labor. They come back, they find me, whether it's on Facebook, whether they travel here to tell me like what I told them reminded them of what matters the most. Mm -hmm. I had a young lady who found me on Facebook um, she was in seventh grade when I was her assistant principal. She said it wasn't until 10th grade, she was walking in the hallway, she was acting up, that she heard me tell her, you are so much more than what you put yourself out to be. And she says, I don't know why I heard your voice, I don't know how I heard your voice, but I, I stopped dead in my tracks and I realized that I have to change. And she thanked me and told me that she would be going to college She's, she started college this year to um, study veterinarian science. Wow. And she said, I remember you used to tell me in seventh grade, you are so beautiful, why don't you know that? Mm-hmm. You are so intelligent, I need you to act better. And she says, Miss Lopez, you know, keep doing it because sometimes we're just not listening, but we're not ready to listen. And mm-hmm. that, to me, was also an important lesson because sometimes you feel like what you're doing is not immediate. Is not immediate. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... I guess kind of going back to just the like the formation of like obviously this is a building but but really mm-hmm. you know like a community like yes. I didn't go to a school every day where somebody told me you're really smart you're beautiful like you you can have more than this right mm-hmm. so it's like how did you I don't know if this is something you can answer but even just like thinking I guess back to like your first mission statement or just the idea and the thought of starting a school, how do you create a culture like that? You create a culture based off of what you are used to and what you want to see, Um, which is where the vision starts. Um, 
when I had my daughter, I remember um, the schools that I chose for her specifically would always give us a list of how can you praise your child? How could you remind them of their greatness? Um, and I was also intentional about the spaces that she was going to be in, that they were going to teach her the same lessons I learned, that was going to teach her about her culture, that was going to teach her about she came from kings and queens. And every time my daughter stepped into a space, she was always reminded that she was beautiful and how confident all of the children were. And this was, she was two years old. Um, it was Little Sons People, and it's in down in um, Brooklyn. And so if you can see how children thrive at such a young age saying that to them constantly then why can't we recreate that at any given level i also had the experience of being in bad spaces and i don't say bad spaces but challenging spaces where that was never part of the fabric that was never part of the conversation and the minute you told a child they were beautiful they shied away and they no longer felt confident and they actually felt like you were trying to play them and i'm like why wouldn't you feel beautiful and literally have children cry when you confront them about mm. how you see them like really see them um not what society says not what somebody cursed you out and said the night before but what i know you to be and i realized that as the principal of this school um or the leader of any space you have to set the tone of what the expectations are for the children in your building okay. and also for the adults because the adults not only myself have to be the ones to repeat it to the children every day yeah how do you i want to talk about work ethic mm -hmm. because obviously you have a, like a very i i just think that to go to such an amazing school to go to get through nursing school and to now have a job where every day mm -hmm. like you have to be on and you never know what you're going to expect how do you just like maintain that consistency? Um, you know, it's funny. I learned my work ethic when I was in middle school, which is probably why I'm so passionate about it. Um, when my parents separated at that time, and so my safe haven was my school. And I attended Summit Junior High School and I spent most of my days and evenings in the office with the principal, the assistant principal and the coordinator at like seven, eight o'clock at night, every single night. And so I always had a space where I didn't have to mourn the abandonment of what I felt um, from my father not being there. And I had a space where people didn't, they didn't actually, they never asked me what's wrong um, they just created a safe haven for me to be, um, which was great because then I wasn't going to be out in the streets making the wrong decisions. And so as a kid, I have always learned kind of like um, to put aside my own personal issues and work through it. And I kind of because I learned that at a young age, I've always, that's all I've known how to be. I've always been really driven. I'm always focused. I want to get through it. And so when I became um, a principal, even when I was an educator, I would always just stay long hours because I knew that kids needed a space to be in late and I would never get my work done until after the children left. 
So if I was doing planning, if I was um, any preparations for the next day, um, even as a principal now, whatever needs to get done, I don't do it until I've walked through every classroom, I've checked with my staff, seen my scholars, and then probably about three, four o'clock um, after school happens, I'm still checking. I might be looking at emails, but my day starts maybe five o'clock at night, wow. six o'clock. And then I'm usually here. I could be here eight, nine, ten, depending on if I have a deadline, I'm here till midnight. Because um, I just believe it. it's whatever it's going to take. And some people will be like, that's just way too much. That's insanity. Um, but, you know, when you are passionate you don't even measure the hours, right? So people who love fashion, they don't measure how many hours they're doing fashion. People who are in the studio um, dropping their verses, nobody tells them you can only do it for two hours. If you're going to stay all night and do it and perfect your craft, everybody's like, do it, do it, do it. When it comes to education, it's like you have to limit yourself and work to 830. I'm in the business of saving the lives of children who would end up in prison. I'm in the business of saving the lives of children whose average income mean in this community is $27,000. And only 32% of the kids go to high school, right? Like that's unacceptable that it's happening in our community and it's happening in Brooklyn. That is like one of the richest cities now in all of the United States. So for me, it is what it is. Whatever amount of hours it's gonna take, I'm willing to put it in because I can count how many years I've been in this work but it, I can't even give you like a definitive answer of how many kids have become successful because it's just been that many as a result of that work. Yeah. And how many kids do you currently have? Right now we have 212 scholars okay. in the building. So, okay, that was that was a lot and very awesome. So <laughs> I was trying to figure out. I'm sorry, it's just so much. No, but. no, it is so much. Can you... I want to know if there is maybe like a story or a situation that you you kind of spoke about the young lady who you know like she she kind of came back years later and it kind of reinforced that point mm -hmm. of you know it may not seem like now they're getting it but a few years from now hopefully they will mm -hmm. but is there another maybe just like story of just amazement of something that like you never thought would happen within your career whether it was just a, a, a 180 of any maybe even with a teacher uh or within the community that really that you that you feel like really changed you um i mean if if you like i think there's just so many pivotal points um that i've gone through but most recently whether people know or don't know, it was the story around um, that came from Humans of New York with Bedal, one of my scholars who, when he was asked who influenced you and he mentioned me, um, it put me on a platform where the spotlight is now on this principle and what has she done and how does she do it? Um, and the reality is, ironically enough, December 14, 2014, mm -hmm. um, our school was featured on the front page of the Metro section of the New York Times. So they had already started following our story from October, from the first week of October, um, and came in like 
almost every day then took a break and then came back and I don't know whether they were trying to see whether or not this was consistent but by December they created um, an article that really spoke to all of the work that it takes in order to manage a school in a high-risk needs area like Brownsville um, and even with that sense of accomplishment I felt like I'm still not doing enough I still feel like there's not enough change. I still feel like my work isn't um, being validated and not like I wanted accolades. But the one unfortunate thing about education is that it almost feels like we're always running a rat race. Because for principals, we're year-round employees. For teachers, majority of them take off for the summer. So when you take off for the summer, you're on vacation. Mm-hmm. I don't have vacations like that. I might get a good five days in, and that's what I call a vacation, but that's even far and few in between. And so I'm constantly working, and when my staff comes back, it's like when the scholars come back, they need to be refreshed, they need to be re-acclimated um, to the work. Um, and so it becomes exhausting, right? Because then they have to play catch-up, and then before you know it, it's Christmas, then there's state exams and then it's summertime again so you never feel like you've done anything like you never get to feel the success of the work because there's always just like you're trying to catch up and trying to get it done and then there's the test and so the stakes are so high and our kids proficiency rates are really low and it's because they don't have access to reading in their homes not like they can't get to the library but the way it works in brownsville is that each area is separated or segregated by the projects. So there's Brownsville Houses, Van Dyke, Langston Hughes, um, Cephalo, uh, Marcus Garvey Village, and a host of others. And for young men, you can't go from one house to another, especially if you're affiliated with gangs. Right. And the library is located within one of the projects. So most of the kids don't go to the library because you find yourself within the middle of a war zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and most households don't have books. There are no bookstores in our immediate area. Mm-hmm. And most parents don't go beyond Brownsville to find anything. So it's almost like a setup for children to end up in the school to prison pipeline because all you see is gated fences and these buildings that tell you that you're limited. And so getting kids to read every day is a fight getting them to want to learn and be consistent is a fight and so when the kids take off they don't want to do it and so with the story with Vidal was I was at a place where I just felt like I didn't matter and I was getting tired Mm -hmm. and I didn't feel like praying was going to get me through this one time and um it was during Martin Luther King Day, I was here in the building and the school should have been closed and I was still upset because I didn't go to church because I had to do something with the scholars here. And I was just angry because I was like, I'm spending more time with you all than I spend with my own family and I'm, I'm, I don't see the fruits of this labor here. Mm-hmm. And Martin Luther King Day, we were here and I stopped in my office and I prayed to God and I was like, God, I don't even know what you're going to do with me. Whatever it is, I apologize um, for being angry. I apologize for not just doing what you need me to do. So use me as your humble servant and 
as your vessel. And I just remember saying that. And in that moment, I, I remember like the custodian, I couldn't find a wire for a speaker. And then I couldn't find a key to open up a door. And then the minute I prayed, the wires turned up, the key was found to open up the door. And I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. And that evening, um, my daughter and I went to a Broadway play and people were texting. Uh, one of my staff members texted me and my scholar texted me and I saw the picture of Vidal, but he had a hood on. And you know, we're in that climate where yeah. young black boy hood on. It's like, what happened? Yeah. And I had to turn off my phone because we were in the middle of this play. Right. So I waited an entire hour. And what I saw was... Did you think that something bad had I happened did. to him? I immediately thought something bad. And, and you, so couldn't t- you couldn't couldn't even deal with no. the, the thought of it? No, I could not. And um, an hour passed intermission and my daughter said, we got to go, mommy. And I looked at the picture and I was like, what is he talking about? Because all it said was yeah. like, who influences you, Miss Lopez? And I was like, what is he, where is this at? And I just learned about Humans of New York the weekend before. Yeah, like randomly. Like, not randomly, even. like... Th- I was at um, Mr. Chu, who's my director of programs, her um, house, and it was her birthday weekend, and they were talking about humans of New York and mm-hmm. the stories, and I was just like, why would he say that? And then one of my scholars texted me and was like, Ms. Lopez, you see, this is about you, and I was just like, oh my God, but it's not even about me, it's always about you all, and he was like, no, this is what you've taught us. I'm so proud of you. I mean, I start crying in my car, because at this point, yeah. I'm in my car. And my daughter said, Mommy, you okay? I was like, I didn't even think I mattered. And he thought enough of me. Yeah. Um, and by the time I went home, it was thousands and thousands of people who liked it and was commenting. And I just cannot process. Right. Oh, my gosh. Anything I would, that yeah. I did was to that magnitude. The thing about Humans of, of New York is, Humans of New York is, is often, I feel, well, not I feel, I know, criticized for being cliche or criticized for being very like lovey-dovey or too inspirational but I think something that is really important kind of like within the story of Vidal is just like that was him like in his in his territory Mm -hmm. in his habitat those were his thoughts while he was just a guy walking down the street and it feel it does feel very much like you know, some people may look at that situation and it's just like, oh, what are the chances? But no, mm-hmm. it was like, yes, this was about the, the school and about Vidal, but it was about you too. And also that was such a huge reminder that you did matter, mm-hmm. it feels like. Yeah, I mean, I, I've gotten the criticism, judgment of, oh, she is so lucky that this young man was interviewed or... um you know why how did he how did he pick that neighborhood it's all these questions and right i'm not even up for the debate of answering that question all i know is that vidal is one of my scholars who at the end of the day i have always put first and i am grateful for what he said I know that God appointed that time and place right because it happened on Martin Luther King Day and I had already started to feel that pressure of not feeling good enough but the one thing that got me through it was on Christmas that I felt that way I went to go see the movie Selma and I watched Dr. King or you know um the depiction of Dr. King in that in that um movie 
and in that immediate time I said who am I to feel like I can't do this work when this man gave of himself for people he didn't know right he was just charged with there is a need and I have to serve it I have to be the voice even if it's going against my own people I know my scholars and there are people who judge me but the same people who are judging me the question is when you're going to open up your school yeah, like <laughs> right? because like, my thing, t- my thing is at the end of the day, like you put in the work, right, right, and, and no one can debate that. <laughs> no, no one can debate that. But sometimes we pass judgment on the things that we feel like others shouldn't. Like we spend too much time criticizing instead of realizing that when do we start to celebrate that if one of us makes it, we are all making it. Yes, and when do we start to say? good job and how can I help right because our kids the issues that I deal with in schools oftentimes how kids behave is because of what they see adults do it is not okay at any given time to demean destroy to gossip to do the crabs in a barrel that's just so unacceptable to me it's unacceptable to me when women have something negative to say about oh who does she think she is why can't it be like wow one of us is making it i need to know what i can do to help so that all of us can make it right and i have so many people who have done that who have stepped up who will always have my back um but when i look at other communities and i see how many people thrive in their communities how they're willing to um support each other show up for each other um it says to me like we are the originators who were kings and queens and created civilization right the demise of that is because when we feel like we need to be better than each other that's when people can come in and destroy us we don't have to worry about anybody else taking us down when we're doing it to ourselves Mm -hmm. so when you see me in this office like i'm here still doing my work i'm still present i'm still fighting hard it's because these children aren't the ones who are hurting me. Not in that manner. Mm-hmm. They're not being intentional or trying to assassinate me. I'm making sure that they are the next generation that takes over this world. I'm making sure that they know that they are more valuable. It hurts me to know that in New York State alone, 70,000 people who are incarcerated come from neighborhoods like this. That when 2.3 million people are incarcerated, $80 billion is going to incarcerate. And some of them are our youth who are children of color. No, that's unacceptable because I am struggling to get money to get anything done in this building. So when people think about, oh my gosh, she raised so much money. Let me be real clear. I don't not charter schools because they do what they need to do. But charter schools can raise millions of dollars because they have boards and they have... um bank accounts in which they can manage their own money. I don't have that luxury. If I have over a million dollars in my budget, that's all I have. Right. So that $1.4 million that goes towards summer programming so that our kids have something to do every single summer, that summer, that STEAM programming. So this year, my eighth graders did um, a historical analysis of Black Lives Matter, not just looking at 2015, but let's take it all the way back to days of slavery up until now let's look at how church bombings was all the way from 1800s and still is happening now 
when will kids ever get that opportunity to have those conversations right. in this day and age? And it's also like that is what, it, in my opinion, kids should be learning anyways. Right. And it's like you hear million dollars, and and some people think, oh well, they're they're set. They're good. And no, no. we're you're using this money to do what should be done anyways, which is to go above and beyond. Right. Like the college trips. Um. What we did was. The money that's allocated for college trips, we said that we wanted the sixth graders to go to Harvard. You know, people may have been up in arms about that. It wasn't about all children need to go to Harvard. That's not what I'm saying. Children shouldn't feel like they shouldn't go anywhere. And those are one of those places that I, as a child, felt like I couldn't go because I didn't feel like I would be good enough. They can have the choice of going anywhere. But the funding that we receive, our scholars will be going to our eighth graders are going to historically black colleges and universities. Our seventh graders are going to be going to SUNY and CUNY schools. And our sixth grade are going to be going to Harvard and other schools as well. But we had to get it to a place where um, once you get the funding, you can decide how you're going to allocate it. The idea is that they go to college, that they right. see various colleges. So over a period of three years, they get this experience. When they come from a community or household that no one has ever gone to college, how could they ever think that they're going to make it if they've never seen it? Right. Right. So that money has been set aside. My team, we came up, we already had the plan of where the kids are going to go. Um, we, I host a college fair every year. Mm -hmm. Nobody asks about that. I make sure um, friends of mine who went to Hampton, Clark Atlanta, Spelman, um, we've had Lincoln here before. We have... Um, Livingstone. We've had all these schools come here to provide the scholars with information because they don't even know what historically black colleges are or why that's so important, yeah. right? But there's also, if people don't come in to share their stories, it's hard for them. So I make it accessible where people can come in, share their stories. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not even about the colleges that they go to. It's not about who says what. It's about what are we doing to change the lives of children? That's what I was called to do, right? That's what made me change my career. That's That was my passion. And that's why when I didn't get the door open the first time, I felt like God was like, okay, well, let me see if she really wants this. Because he already knew I was going to be in a fight, right? <laughs> I was going to be in a fight. And there's nothing that's really going to stop me from wanting to fight. Because I often see that when we don't put education as one of the things that we value, especially in our communities, we are destined for our children to fail. So what then becomes of our legacy? Yeah. What do we have left, right? We did Digital Day two weeks ago. When I looked at the numbers that is only 8% of people of color in the tech industry, I'm like, there's a lot of money being made in the tech industry. A multi-billion dollar industry and only 8% are being exposed. Why? Because our kids aren't getting exposed to technology. They don't have access or understand digital platforms. But that's because in our schools, we don't have the resources or the people who have the technical skills to teach our kids. Yeah. That's but, unfair. Right. And then it's also, I, I was just reading this article. I'm going to send it to you um, from this platform called The Fader. Mm -hmm. And they talk about really how black kids are using these platforms like every other teenager but here's the difference they're creating really amazing stuff that goes viral mm -hmm. in that huge corporations are making money off of yep and how are they getting compensated for their creativity 
And they're not. They're not. They're not. So, like, I tell my kids, you all, like, make these videos. You watch videos. Every time you're watching these videos of people, um, you're actually adding to their dollars. You're not making anything off mm -hmm. of it. Um, and then the kids, they didn't understand it until we started to do actual um, analytics on it. And they were like, people get money for this? And I'm like, Add yes. dollars. <laughs> yep. Every single time. I said, so every time you watch a YouTube video and before the video rolls up and you have to watch an ad, that company is paying to be part of that video. And they're like, are you serious? I said, that's why people want to have as many followers as possible because that's another way of making an income. Yeah. And if we don't teach our children how to manage themselves, even online, like, we don't have to degrade ourselves. We don't have to lessen our value by doing things that are compromising or will impact them 10 or 15 years from now that they can never take away from it. How do you start creating these positive images, right? And so when people say that humans of New York may be cliche or they're you know, trying to find something positive, the unfortunate thing is that why are we always looking for something negative? Right. Why do we need to constantly be bombarded with these negative images? Um, you know, like I, some of these um, reality shows, it it makes me wonder that a lot of times when you see a lot of females having issues amongst themselves, somewhere they unearthed that there was some issue in when they were children in the past, that they had issues with dealing with the relationship with the parent. And I'm like, that's a mental health issue. Our families are suffering with mental health. They never show about consistently about the impact of um, going through therapy and what a breakthrough it is. It's like the therapist now gets dragged into the drama. And I'm like that. And so we create this, again, this taboo about why should we go to a therapist? Because then when we bring a family in, it's just going to unearth drama and everybody's going through this stuff. And I was like, it's it's so unhealthy. Um, and so when we don't teach children to appreciate positive stories, all they want to do is end up in all the negative. Yeah. And then they start to create these scenarios because I'm like, that is scripted. People get paid for that. Right. You're not getting paid. You'll end up getting locked up. We don't need that in our communities. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, this is, this is like, it's interesting because you would think like when I, growing up as a kid, you went to school, you learned, um, you learned and you could move past it, but in this day and age, education requires so much more. It requires you to be present. It requires you um, to be to know what's going on on TV and actually put that in your instruction as well. Um, to know what's going on in culture. Yeah, and, and we influence you. We are definitely influenced by the culture. Um, you know, we're in a day and time where the only way we get information is really through Twitter mm -hmm. and various social media sites. Our kids aren't on Twitter. They're on... Are they on Snapchat? They're on Snapchat. They're on They're on Instagram. So a meme is news for them. And I'm like, that's not news. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a parody. Um, and they don't get that. So it's about teaching the new generation of how to be savvy and how to navigate. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also about me even just being here with you and, and share with your audience that we have a social responsibility um, to show up. Like, I love having folks show up. You're more valuable than you think. You know, we have a number of teachers um, 
we have a number of teachers who I love and appreciate all of them. Um, but they also want to learn about what's new and explore and make their curriculum exciting um, and start preparing our kids for what we consider the 21st century. Yeah. So, you know, there's too many schools every other block of our buildings that um of our streets for people not to just show up or go to your alma mater and say how can i help like you would be so much in service to others and changing the course of a child's life and this is actually my last question that i that i'm really interested in knowing like i have a lot of millennials and and really just young people my age who moved to brooklyn who moved to the city who moved to cities and for me it's like I'm finally at a place where I can give back like in some way I can give my time I can give my my knowledge from whatever I've learned and it's like how do you feel like young kids or just people in general who who maybe aren't teachers or they aren't specifically within like education how can they give back to kids in their communities I think that the most important thing is, one, you have to be ready, mm-hmm. right? Because dealing with kids today is not easy. Um, you know, they, sometimes their commitment level um, can be a little shaky at first because they're not used to be people being consistent in their lives. So you have to be willing to be patient, but when you do decide that you want to give back, um, it's as easy as showing up to a school and maybe starting with a guidance counselor or the assistant principal um oftentimes with the guidance counselor because they have um more insight and connection to the kids and you can come in as a guest speaker perhaps um or even connecting with organizations like the boys um boys and girls club um girls inc organizations that have a good reputation Um, Because it's also important that as people volunteer and they're going to volunteer for a consistent amount of time that they have to get fingerprinted by New York State to make sure not only for yourselves but for the kids that they're with someone that's safe. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's rewarding, right, to be a mentor to someone. Um, But you have to be consistent because kids are so used to people not showing up that they have this wall and they're waiting for you to fail them um and the breakthrough comes through when they see that you are consistent and they know that they can trust you because that's the biggest thing is building the trust Mm -hmm. that they need um and share your talents and abilities a lot of i know a lot of folks who have created nonprofit organizations um have worked in collaboration with the YWCA because that's a um, empowerment organization for young women. There's so many opportunities and avenues that you can go through. Um, you know, there there was uh, Jamila Lemieux and Marlon Peterson, um, and a group of other individuals came here for the opening day of school, and all they did was shake the hands of our scholars as they walked in. 
And it wasn't just about our building, it was about the, all the scholars from the different schools. And that made parents feel like, oh my God, people actually do that? And it was just like, yes, because your child is valuable and we want them to know that they're right. welcome. Have you ever seen that photo and it's like of these little girls and I think they're going into like pre-K or something like that, but it's like a line of, of men and they're all, mm -hmm. that photo brings me to tears because yeah. it's just like, yes. Yes. That probably took a half an hour out of their day. And that's what it was. They did that the first day of school. They lined yeah. up the entranceway, um, and Jamila brought her daughter and on her first day of school, and she was cheering yeah. people on, and then she went and took her to school. And even by doing that, she's showing her daughter the importance of giving back and being present for others, right? Yeah. Um, so we don't. it doesn't require money, because sometimes people will say, I don't have the money. Um, I don't have the commitment time. Sometimes just making the the commitment of saying I'm going to show up once a month or maybe it's a group of you as girlfriends or a collective group of men who come together and say you know what we want to be consistent so every every month someone is present so if it's four of us we'll take the um we'll alternate who's going to go so that at least the children see us every single week they see one of us if mm -hmm. they can't see all of us mm -hmm. and no one ever feels like they're not showing up yeah you know what because we have to also come together as the village and start to say that we're willing to take care of our own i mean that's the most important thing that's how we all got here right yeah exactly okay so this is the last part of the podcast sure i have a segment called plus one okay and it's basically where you get to shout out a person a place a thing an event mm -hmm. that you know, kind of going back to that that spot of optimism, shouting out something that you really enjoy. It could have okay. been like a movie that you saw recently. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, would you like me to go first? Sure. Okay. Well, no. Do you have yours? Place, thing, or event? Yeah. Or a product, a person. You're going to go first. I'll follow. Okay. <laughs> so, I always kind of write them down in my notes, but the... The plus one I kind of thought of when I would, while I was in here, a lot of people don't know that I used to play softball. Mm -hmm. And I think I just want to give a huge shout out to that sport and kind of what it taught me because now I look back at it and what it taught me as a leader. And I think that a lot of times we forget like what sports can help kids to do. Mm -hmm. um, I've like played on, a, on like a travel softball team. It was just really fun. Uh, I got to meet all different types of people. So I just want to give a shout out to where did I play softball? I played softball at in middle school and high school and then I played for a travel team. So shout out to all that. Okay. Um, so I want to say like shout out to all the geeks and nerds in the world. Mm. <laughs> and the reason why I say that is because growing up, I was certifiably a geek. Um, and it is cool to be smart. And I think that we just need to own that and celebrate it um i went to a gifted and talented school and there was only probably like 88 of us and it was kids from all various types of backgrounds but we were so smart that people didn't want to bother with us because we were socially awkward to them i guess mm -hmm. um and so whether you're still a geek at heart or you're a young person who's trying to figure yourself out like Manage who you are and be your own person and be unique and love what God has created, right? Because 
we weren't meant to be identical to each other only if you were twins and even then <laughs> they have differences um and so I mean that carried over to when I was in high school I didn't want to be the cheerleader I tried out for the cheerleading team but I love basketball so much that I wanted to manage the boys basketball team because I just was all about being the statistician and telling the boys like mm-hmm. percentage of rebounds and how they could improve their shots and so I managed the boys' basketball team for, like, three years, I think. Wow. And I loved every minute of it. See, that's something that people would not know about you. Yeah, no. I go hard. Like, don't talk to me about sports. Oh, my Football, gosh. basketball. Um, I sometimes watch golf, but I love tennis. I, hockey is just, you know, it's something that I watch, like, when it's the playoff season. Yeah. Um. But it's not something that I'm ready to go to a game to see. But I love, like, the, the 90s basketball was mm-hmm. everything. College basketball was everything. You just talk smack all day. And even now, like, I get under people's skin. So if my next life, I will be a sportscaster. So you know who really loves particularly basketball is Danielle Smith, who yes. I was my heart cover. Yes. So, like, you... You remind me of her, of her in that sense. All day. So who's like your New York basketball team? So I, I don't want people to get mad because <laughs> a lot of people get upset. And I just want to be real clear. All the New York Knicks fans, I do not hate on the Knicks. I just don't feel like the um, management respects fans. Bottom line. So I've never been a Nick fan. And I'll just be real honest about that um, because I just feel like front office, the owner, like he's about making money and he's not about putting his players first and making the best decisions for the team to win. So growing up, I was always, I, I, everybody's going to be like, oh, she was a Bulls fan. No, I was a Bulls fan when they were getting dragged through the mud and Isaiah Thomas and um, Magic and Larry Bird and um, Parrish and All of the people who were on all the different teams was dragging us through it, and we would never win. Um, And then we just became, you know, contenders and champions. Now people be like, well, who do you like? I'm all about liking players at this point. My favorite player in the entire world, people be clear, is Ray Allen. And I know some folks are going to be like, what? I followed him when he was in UConn. I thought he was his three-pointer was just the most beautiful shot in the world um and I was all about that and that was because like I said in the 90s when you watch college basketball it was everything so people who don't know yes I used to watch UNLV with Larry Johnson LSU <laughs> with Shaq don't get it twisted I do know my facts but um yeah so I mean Danielle if you listening like me and you we can have a conversation I'll she go, would love that because yeah, yeah. I can't really talk I, I can't even I spit right now yeah yeah yes. yeah um, so I you know but we in the Knicks we have a really great relationship they support the school a lot um John Starks came and he actually um spoke at our graduation and I remember when I met John Starks I was 16 and I was talking smack then and he was just like how are you in New York how are you a New Yorker and you aren't even supporting your team? I was like, I need y'all to win and get a chip. And he was like, oh, she is out of control. So, I mean, that's who I am. Yeah, right? yeah. That's why I'm the principal now. Yeah, exactly. You're competitive. <laughs> you, like, are consistent. You yeah. are hard working. Show me the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much. 
I appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming out. Yeah, no, I'm so glad that I got to walk through these halls and just be in a school again. Ah, it was cool. Was it? Did it take you back, though? It te- it took me back. I was like, look out. It, it really did take me back. You know, like the the, the tile and the floor and the, and the colors. I'm and like... The chairs and... Yeah, I was just like, wow, I really... This used to be my life. You know, you can't ever forget that. So but it's pretty. It's purple. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Royalty. <laughs>